So the first Mishnah of this Perek taught that if a man marries two wives and then dies, the wife he married first can collect the entire Ketubah from his property before the second wife can collect anything. So this Mishnah will elaborate upon this law. Someone was married to four wives and he died. The first wife, so the one whose Ketubah is dated first, comes before the second wife and collects the entire Ketubah because her husband's property was pledged to her first. So the second wife comes before the third wife. And the third wife comes before the fourth wife. However, before the first wife can say anything, she must swear to the second wife that she was not already paid. Since there might be nothing left for the second wife after the first one collects, the second wife can make the first one swear that her claim is valid. So if the second wife suspects that not enough property will be left for her after the first wife collects the ketubah, she can demand that the first wife swear. But if she does not demand it, there is no obligation to swear. The same applies to the oaths of the second and third wives mentioned below in the Mishnah. So now, even though the third and fourth wives are also affected when the first wife collects the ketubah, because there might not be enough property left for them, she does not need to swear the same oath to each of them separately. The oath she swears to the second wife is enough. Okay, so we see the first one, she's got to swear to the second one, and before the second wife can take a swear to the third wife for the same reason, <coughs> sorry, and before, the, and before the third wife can take anything, she must swear to the fourth wife. However, the fourth wife is paid without making an oath because nobody's affected when she collects her ketubah. So now this is only true though when the husband does not owe money to anyone else. Otherwise, she must swear to the creditor. Also, the Mishnah refers to a case where the husband's heirs do not make her swear before taking her ketubah from the property they inherited, for otherwise she would have to swear to them. Now, there's a Tanah who disagrees. Ben Nanas, Omer Ben Nanas says, niskara. Should the fourth wife gain by not having to swear just because she's last, her claim would affect the other wives in the following case. If it was discovered that the property taken by one of the first three wives had been stolen by the husband, that wife would have to give the property back to its original owner. She would then come to claim her kutubah again, but after the fourth wife has collected kutubah, there might not be enough property left for her. So she might have to swear because in the event that, you know, one of the first wives has property removed from them, they'd have to come back and get from the estate, but there might be nothing left. So therefore, therefore, even in this case, even the fourth wife is not paid unless she makes an oath. Okay, but the first Tanah does not hold that the fourth wife never made... She, he, as we saw, the first opinion is that the, the, fir, the fourth wife never needs to make an oath. In his opinion, even if one of the other, other wives must give her her property, she can take the fourth wife's property away from her because her rights come first. Since none of the other wives will lose because of the fourth wife, there is no need for her to swear. Bananas, on the other hand, holds that once the fourth wife has collected what she's owed, the other wives cannot take away from her. Thus, if one of the other wives discovers that the property she collected is stolen and she must give it up, she will indeed suffer a loss if the fourth wife took the last available land, the fourth wife therefore must swear that this property is really owed to her. Now another law about how to decide which wife collects the kutubah first. If the kutubah were produced, are produced in court and all of them are written on the same day, but at different hours of the day, whoever comes first, so her kutubah was written before the other, even by only an hour has the right to collect her kutubah first. So this would owe that this for this to apply, the hours must be recording the kutubah. If the kutubah written on the same day but the hours are not recorded the wives decide the pro- divide the property equally 
even if the documents were actually written at different hours, because it's not, it's not, it's not logged. And in fact, in Jerusalem, they would write the documents, in the documents, the hours in which they were written. But if the ketubah are produced in court and all of them are written, even in the same hour, and there was only a hundred zuz in the husband's estates, which is not enough to pay all of them, they divide the property equally. The Mishnah discusses another case of a man who has two wives and not enough property to pay both of their ketubahs. If someone was married to two wives and sold his field, which was which was worth only enough to pay one of their ketubahs, and the first wife, so the one he married first, wrote to the buyer of the field, Din Udvarin Enli Imach, I will have no legal claim or argument against you about this field, I will not take it from you as payment for my ketubah. Okay, so normally if a married man sells property and then dies, his wife has to say that property is payment for her ketubah. This wife, however, gave up that right. Okay, so he gives, she gives up the right and then the husband died. The law is that the second wife can take the field from the buyer. And then the first wife can come and take it from the second wife since her right to the field came first. And then the buyer can then take it back from the first wife since she gave up her rights with respect to him. And they keep going around in a circle. So so the second wife will then take it back from the buyer, the first wife takes it from the second wife, and the buyer takes it from the first wife, and so on, until they make a compromise among themselves. For example, each one agrees to take a third of the field. So they don't actually need to take the field from each other. It means that because none of them are able, will be able to keep the field, because someone is always able to take away from them, they should come to a compromise. Now, another situation where this can happen, and so too is the law with a lender. For example, someone owed a lender 100 zoos and had two fields, ETH, which ETH, each worth 50 zuz. He sold one field to one person and later sold the other field to the other person. And the lender wrote to the second buyer that he would not take the field from him. The lender can seize the first buyer's field as a payment for debt. Then the first buyer can take the second buyer's field as compensation for his loss. The lender can then take that field from the first buyer's payment for the rest of the money he is owed. The second buyer can then take it back from the lender since the lender said he would not take his field. It goes round and round in circles until they reach a compromise. And a third situation, and so too, this is the law of a woman who's a lender... Sorry, and so too, this is the law with a woman who is a lender. So it says that her husband owes her ketubah to her. For example, her ketubah is worth 200 zuz. Her husband had two fields, each worth 100 zuz. He sold one field to one person, it sold the other field to another person, and a woman, and the woman wrote to the second buyer that she would not take his field as payment for the ketubah. When the husband dies, the woman can take the, the first buyer's field as a payment. Then the first buyer can then go and take the second buyer's field. The woman can take that field from the first buyer's payment for the rest of the ketubah. And the second buyer can take that field back from the woman. It goes round in circles until they reach a compromise. Have a great day.